Today I'm going to start a, um, a, a, a new series that, that is what I'm just calling Faithful. And, and faithful is a big word. It goes a lot of different directions. But let me ask you this. When you think about faithful, let me tell you what I often think of. And it's happened to me, and if it happens to me, I'm sure it happens to you. There are many times in our lives where we, when we hear about being faithful to God, it's kind of heavy. You, 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 your mind goes to where you're coming up short. Your mind goes to things like, I should pray more, or I should be more faithful. Your mind goes to places where you're not faithful. Faithfulness, is, it, it tends, I've found in the people of God, it just tends sometimes to, to be a little heavy, and it shouldn't be. God gave me a verse, um, I would say, probably in my first year here. And, 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 and he gave me this verse that I've continually stayed on. Our staff knows about it. I've talked about it a lot behind the curtain uh, on our church uh, team. But the Lord gave me Psalm 37, and it came actually through one of our church members. Uh, specifically, it came through Michelle Hicks. She sent me a text one day. She said, I'm praying this, this over you. And it was really strange because I, I, I felt like, wow, um, this whole Psalm 37 uh, was, was resonating with where I was in my heart. And, and there's a verse in Psalm 37, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. That's what the New American Standard says. And it was that phrase, cultivate faithfulness. And that was what God had shown me about our church that uh, no... No, nothing was more important than us being faithful to God with our whole lives. And so when you think about cultivating, right, I, I know what that word means. That's a farming term. It is to cultivate. See, there's, there's three phases to farming. There's the, the planting phase, and then there is the harvest phase. But if you ask farmers, they will tell you the most difficult phase of all of them is the one in the middle, the cultivation phase. Because when you, when you plant seed in the ground, that's one thing. But one of my closest friends who's a large corporate farmer told me something one time. He said, Jason, the moment you put seed in the ground, everything on earth is trying to kill it. Moisture, insects, when it sprouts up, now you've got animals that eat it, heat, weather, he said the cultivation phase over the summer months is when a farmer is working sometimes 15, 16, 17 hours a day because they have to watch that crop all the time. Because if you've ever planted a crop at all, you understand that in a day, army worms can wipe you out. And that, that term, in, in different insects on cotton, you, you can look up and your crop can be gone in a matter of days. It can be devastating. So the cultivation phase is, is what really God put on my heart that, that, that I, I was to lead you guys into cultivating faithfulness, right? Cultivating faithfulness. So today, I want to talk to you about what I'm going to call removing the fog, right? Removing the fog. What, so there, I think there's kind of a fog to faithfulness at times. So we're going to talk about removing the fog of, around being faithful. Because when it comes to being faithful, I think it's sometimes misunderstood, I do. I think faithfulness is misunderstood, and it can be a little heavy. And so let me start with telling you about what faithfulness is not. Let's start with that. What, what is faithfulness? What, what did God never want faithfulness to be? Well, God never wanted me simply to, to conform to a set of rules. That's, that's, if you're taking notes, write that down. Faithfulness is not conforming to a set of rules, right? It, it, no. 
But that's what we think. Many of you grew up in households, right? Let's just let, let's be honest, all right? Seriously, your parents had good intentions, but have you ever thought about the things that your parents said to you if you did grow up in church? They told you to sit still, be quiet, and be happy, right? You know, did you ever get the pinch? Oh, man, right? Or the look? That was enough. You knew you were going to get it, right? You just knew you were going to get it. So, so why? Because, it, well, you, they, they weren't mean, but there was an expectation of, of you, you know, being, you know, in line in church, right? Because you didn't. Some of, the, some of you grew up in smaller churches where the preacher would call your kid out. Oh, buddy, that was the worst. Or growing up in a, in a very religious family, you knew there were standards and rules that applied. And, and, and that's not all bad. It's just that it it can make the idea of pursuing God a thing of fear. It can make it like, I don't want to step out of line. So in turn, we, we have, you know, all these... Look, I mean, th- this is nothing new. If your parents did it, they were just continuing the tradition. This has been going on for thousands of years. God didn't want obedience to be about conformity. I love what Jesus said um, about Pharisees. You know who the Pharisees were? The Pharisees were, th- think of uh, men like me, the, the, the religious leaders, right? They, they were starchy, and they, had, uh, they were known to be the, the religious men that kind of set the tone. And, and Jesus went into, in Matthew chapter 23, he went into this rant on Pharisees. I mean, he began to hammer them over all the, the ways they were hypocrites. And they were in the crowd, by the way. And Jesus said this about Pharisees. He said, do not do what they do. He said, they tie up heavy burdens and they lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as their finger. He's talking about religious burdens. The Pharisees made God hard to get to. They they made God hard to access. And they, they liked that because they wanted to be the, the buffer zone, right? So, so that's really not the idea of just conforming to a set of rules. That's way different than what the Lord was after. You know, you can, you can pursue spirituality through conformity, but I will tell you, it'll drain you. Dallas Willard one time said it this way. He said, spirituality misunderstood and wrongly applied is the greatest source of human misery on the earth. He's right. So think about it. I can conform or I can love God, but it, it, it depends. The, the, it, let, let me give you an, an, an illustration of this. So I can choose not to have an affair on Michelle. I can choose to be faithful to my marriage covenant. So I can choose to be faithful simply because it's wrong if I, if, I, if I break that covenant. It's morally wrong, and it's just out of bounds. So God says, you shall not commit adultery. So I don't because I'm conforming. True. Or I could choose not to have an affair on my wife simply because I love her too much to break her heart. The result is the same, but the motive is different, right? The result is the same, but the motive is different. 
Jesus said that we are to love the Lord our God, right? We are to love the Lord our God. He didn't say conform to the Lord our God. Love the Lord our God. And conformity isn't love. Faithfulness was never meant to be burdensome. Look at what Paul said in Galatians 5. Look at what he said. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Jesus set you free to be free, not heavy. Jesus sets you free to, be, to, to, to want to be faithful. It's not heavy. So you, you, don't, you don't have to carry this burdensome thing around with you. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. And so don't keep, he says, therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. The Galatians were actually going backward as a faith family. They were going backward into slavery of, of bondage, of conformity to religious rules that God hadn't put on them. So it was for freedom that Christ set us free. So what, how does this translate to today with the, the fog of faithfulness? How do we understand this? So that we, we want to be faithful to God. And there's a story in the Old Testament. It is, it, there's so many I love and there's so many biblical characters, but I think this one particularly, I think it embodies what it means to be faithful right here. So let's turn to Joshua. You're right, if you've got a Bible with you, let's go to Joshua chapter 1. Right? Joshua chapter 1. It's right after Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then there's Joshua. Right in the very front part of your Bible. Uh, and, and if you're on a tablet, um, use a New American Standard. Joshua chapter 1, and we're going to read it, uh, just the first few verses. So let me tell you what's going down right here as, as you kind of understand. So, so Moses... Moses has, is turning, he's turned over the keys, right? Because Moses, Moses has died. And, and now Joshua was Moses' servant. He was his apprentice, if you will. And so now it's Joshua's turn to lead the people. So here we go, verse 1. Now it came about, chapter 1, verse 1, it came about after the death of Moses, that the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross the Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving them to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. Now, you, you need to think about the gravity of that statement. That's, that would have really been mind-boggling for him. For the, from the wilderness of Lebanon, as far as the great river, to the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. Think about, if you are a leader, if you, if you lead a team right now, think about the gravity of verse 5. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Oh my goodness. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. Listen, Joshua knew what that meant. God would meet with him. The Bible says, you know, the Bible says that God spoke to Moses as a man speaks with a friend. This is a big deal. I will not fail you or forsake you, verse 6. Now, be strong. Here, here comes the charge. Be strong and courageous. This is his commission. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful, Joshua, to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. And do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, 
but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So there's a lot going on right there, and I, I can't unpack all of it in, in a simple Sunday morning. But there's, there's something that's going on right there in Joshua's life. And if you notice, there's a lot that God could have said. God could have given him a lot of instructions. But here's what, here's what God didn't ask for. God didn't ask for Joshua's talent. Did you notice that? He didn't say, get better, go to a conference, get a better education. All those are helpful. He didn't say, I need your talent, Joshua. I've called you because of your talents. And he didn't call out Joshua because he needed his intellect. I mean, you can't improve on God's intellect, right? You can't. You can't improve on God. He did not need Joshua's talent, and he did not need Joshua's intellect. What he wanted was Joshua's heart. He wanted his will. That's what he wanted. God could have asked for anything in that, in that chapter 1. He could have asked for anything. But he asked for Joshua's faithfulness. Be faithful. Now why does that matter? It matters because I've told you time and again, I'm going to keep telling you. Your cravings will determine what you chase. What you crave will determine what you chase. What you want most will determine what you chase. And he wanted Joshua to chase him. So why does this matter when it comes to being faithful? So if we know what faithfulness is, and it's, just, it's not just simple conformity to a bunch of religious standards, why did he ask for faithfulness in a different way than a bunch of rules to follow? See, God did give them standards, but he gave them standards as boundaries, not, not just oppression. So, so what, is, what is it that he's after here? Why would he ask for Joshua's heart? Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. I'll tell you why. Because when God owns my will, he owns my desires. Understand that. See, the heart. What is the heart? In, in the Hebrew idea, the heart, the soul, is your mind. The idea of the soul in the Hebrew world, and pretty much the Greek world too, the, the idea of the soul is your mind, your heart, your will, your emotions, your innermost self. That's your soul. It's the deepest part of you. So your will is what, what he, is what God is after. When God owns your will, he owns your desires. And that, that's the ball game, friends. It's the ball game. When he owns your intent, then he can do things through you. I mentioned Psalm 37 a minute ago. Psalm 37, 4, this is a very familiar verse. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Listen, that is not a blank check for you to live however you want to live. But it's funny how that's become kind of a bumper sticker in Christian life. That's not, that's not don't misapply that verse. You've got to understand that verse. We, we often think that, that, you know, God is here to just make life easier on us. Well, have you read this book? You know, because, man, that's why the prosperity gospel doesn't work. God, God isn't here to just make you healthy and wealthy. And, and, and uh, Listen, success is great, but read the book. Like, 
You're going to suffer if you're living out your faith the right way. Everybody that did suffered. That's why when hard times come, you, you find out who, who, are the, the, who, the, who are the believers. So what does it mean? Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Well, look at the first part. Align yourself with God and he'll give you the desires of your heart. You know why? Because your heart is aligned with his heart. And when your heart is aligned with his heart, you want what God wants for you. So when, when God asked Joshua for his heart, he was saying to him, in effect, Joshua, align yourself with me. Meditate here. Do this. Stay here. So that Joshua's will, Joshua's intent, would be to chase the things of the holy. You see, you're going to chase what you crave most. And if you crave the non-eternal, then what you're going to get in return on your investment is the earthly. If you chase the non-eternal, your ROI is going to be the best this world can give you. And that's never God's best for you. you listen, friends, you are never, ever, 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 you are never going to find fulfillment, find success, find prosperity, find significance and purpose. You're never going to find that if you sow in the earthly. Why would you sow in the earthly expecting to reap in the heavenly? That's never going to happen. It's why you see so many Christians sidelined from God they chose to do it their way. It's why I see so many young adults confused and twisted, full of stress and anxiety when it comes to their sexual lives because they're, they're, they're chasing the now, expecting to feel like it's going to pay off. I remember so many young couples I've talked to, when they became sexually active, I told them, I said, listen, they would come to me and they would say, Pastor Jason, like, it's not working out. I'm like, no, you know why? Because you went around the covenant. You went around the covenant. What makes you think you can go around the covenant and expect covenant rewards? It doesn't happen. That doesn't make you a bad person. You made a bad decision. Get back on the path. You might not be able to regain your virginity, but you can regain your purity. You see, you're, same thing for if you. If you, if you sow in greed and if you sow in job titles and if you, if you sow in trying to climb the ladder just for the sake of climbing the ladder, if you sow in square footage because you want to impress your friends, if you sow in those things, don't expect a harvest that's kingdom abundant. You're just not going to get it. So God could have said a lot to Joshua, but he said, Joshua, I want your heart aligned to me. I want your heart aligned to me. And here's why. When he owns your will, he can own your desires. And when he owns your will, he's going to open up your future. You hear what I'm saying to you? When your heart is aligned with God's heart, and it comes underneath the umbrella of God's anointing, let me tell you what God's going to do. God's going to open up things for you. Now again, I didn't say... I didn't say he's going to make your, you know, ultimate destiny come true or something. I didn't say that God's going to make you wealthy. 
I didn't say that God's going to re- give you all of this prosperity. Listen, that's why I meant, I meant it when I said it. The prosperity gospel is a false gospel. That's not true. There is suffering and there is good and there is bad and there's all of life that, that lands on, on this planet. That's not what God's after. When he's opening up your future, what I mean by that is that if your will is submitted to God and your deepest desires are his desires, I'm going to tell you something. God's going to take you to places you could have never gone on your own. You could have never gone there on your own. Look look back at the whole of Scripture, right? Look back at the whole of Scripture. You've got from Genesis to Revelation, you've got so many examples of this. Look at Moses. You've got a guy who committed manslaughter. See, we, we look at these people and we're like, you know, Moses. In our mind, you know, Moses is 12 feet tall. He's got biceps of 52 inches and, you know, he's got perfect abs and, and he's, he's got 17 degrees and four PhDs and he's, he's got, I mean, this guy murdered a dude. He got mad. He saw somebody beating up a Hebrew, one of his people, and he killed him. In a moment of rage. But God used Moses. Why? Because Moses went through a transformation. And his will was submitted to God. Think about Amos, the farmer. I love Amos. Amos is farming. One day God says, hey Amos, my house is full of greed and materialism and injustice. And I want you to go tell the prophet." Amos puts down the plow. You got a short little run of time where he walks up to the the people of Israel and to the prophet and to the state, the state-owned priest, and he tells them all what's going to happen to them. And for all we know, Amos goes back to farming. Amos was committed. I love Amos. He was committed to, to the work. Look at Peter. You got a commercial fisherman with no theological education at all. I think he did okay. The greatest New Testament evangelist we've ever had. Thousands upon thousands would come to Christ at times when he would preach. You got Mary. Think about Mary. A young lady who God spoke to her and said a miracle is going to happen in you. And she said, okay. I don't understand it, but I don't need to understand it. I don't have to have it qualified. I'll do it. You see, that's why, that's why God used those people. They didn't attach the need to understand with the will to obey. They just did it. When God owns your will, he will open up your future to you. So look at what he says to Joshua. Joshua 1 verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Hey, I want to say something to you, friends. You don't see this a whole lot in Scripture, but that is a conditional promise. That is a promise based on condition. But what is he saying right there? He's saying, hey, Joshua, that's why I put, I underlined, meditate and be careful to do. What he's saying to Joshua, Joshua, stay in the lane. Stay in the lane. Don't get outside the lane, Joshua. Don't do it your way, Joshua. 
Surrender your attitude, your will, your emotions. Surrender your cravings to me. And then Joshua, if you'll, if you'll meditate right there, if you'll stay right there, Joshua, I'm going to do things through that you could never do on your own. You could never do on your own. And that's why my heart for you is to always align with the purpose that God birthed you on this planet for. Because when you're living out your calling, I'm telling you, when, you're, when your alignment is lined up with where God wants you, Things will happen to you that you could never dream possible. You couldn't create them. You're not smart enough to create the blueprint. You can't create the track record. You can't do it by yourself. It takes a holy God to open up closed doors. And God can do those things for you if and only if your will is surrendered. So that's why he tells them, meditate. Med verse 8, meditate on this day and night. Stay in the lane. You know why? You know why? Because if Joshua, this is important. If Joshua went outside the lines and became arrogant, if Joshua chose to do it his way and not listen to God, it wasn't just Joshua that was going to feel the pain. There's collateral behind that. Joshua, with an arrogant heart, is going to damage people's lives. You ever worked with someone who's just really arrogant and a maverick and uncoachable? Is there not collateral around them in their family, their friendships, their kids? You know, as a leader, as a leader, one of my deepest desires is that I never have an arrogant heart. Because I've seen, listen, I have the propensity for arrogance. And so do you. We all have arrogant times. We all have times where we didn't listen. We all had times where we, had, we, we grew hard-hearted. But I remember one time I, I went through the book of Proverbs, all 31 chapters of it. And you know what I discovered? In 30 out of the 31 chapters of Proverbs, there's at least one verse, if not several. There's at least one verse in every single chapter except chapter 31. There's at least one verse on the dangers of an arrogant spirit an uncoachable heart, an arrogant mindset. It, it, will, it will destroy the lives of people around you if you're arrogant. And so, so he, he, you have to resolve to the fact that you're going to stay in the lane, Joshua, is what he's saying, because you've got to understand something. Look at what is on Joshua's horizon. This is important. This is just one guy. And this is what I find truly fascinating about chapter 1. This is what, I've, I've studied chapter 1 of Joshua a lot in my life. And this is what chapter 1, this is what just truly, truly, I don't know if the word is amazes me or, if it, it's so counterculture, Joshua 1. Because you got to understand, if I was God and I had Joshua, I'm going to tell Joshua a lot of things. Moses has just died. He's led these massive tribe through a desert. They're on the edge of the Jordan. 
They got a crossover, the old women, the old men, the young kids, the young little boys and girls, the pregnant mothers, the single moms, the dads, I mean, the teachers, the blacksmiths, I mean, the, the whole band of people. Imagine just trying to cross the river with populations of small little infants all the way to the elderly. Do you understand how fearful that would make you if you're the guy? Because if you don't get the river crossing right, uh, they're going to die. So just, just right there, if I was God, I would have coached him up on a lot of things. Think about who Joshua is. First, he's, got, he's this pilgrim leader. He's this pilgrim leader. He's this, he's this guy that, that, that has got to usher all of these people into a new land, cross a river, take all the vagabond crew and get them over there and get it going. That, that in and of itself is hard enough. But then once he gets over there, if I was God, I would also say, hey, by the way, Joshua, just so you know, that river crossing is going to be pretty hard and you're going to get through it. But there's this group of people called the Canaanites. And they're going to want to kill every single one of you. I don't mean just the adults. They're going to kill your kids, too. These people don't play around. And you're walking right into their back door. I promise you they're coming. So I'm going to teach you how to be a war admiral. That's what I would have... I would have I, in fact, I might have even started there with, as a war admiral, right? That's number two. Look at that. So not only has he got to be a pilgrim leader, he's got to be a war admiral. So I'm going, to, I'm going to get him, you know what we would do in Franklin, fine, i got to go into war. Let's, let's get the best war coach ever. Because that's what we do. Your kid wants to hit a baseball better, we get him like lessons from Vanderbilt or something. Right? Your kid wants to play the musical instrument, we got musicians, we'll pay for it. It's good, but we got the resources to do it. I'm not saying things wrong with it. You know, I get my kids coaching stuff too, nothing wrong with that. I would have said, hey, let's send you to like the School of the Americas in Columbus, Georgia at Fort Benning where, where, they, where they teach other, other people from other countries how to craft war. Then he's got to be a developer, right? Once you get through the Canaanites, now you actually got to set up roads, sewer systems. You got to set up schools, hospitals. I mean, this isn't like 10 people. This is thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So Joshua, not only do you have to develop community, you got to set up residential areas and streets, and I promise you, they're going to get turfy about that. So, so now you've you're, you got all this stuff on you, and by the way, if you're not discouraged yet for the job description, I also need you to pastor these people. You're the spiritual leader, too. Is anybody dumb enough to take this job? Can you imagine? So what does God do? He says, hey, buddy. I don't need you for any of that. I can do that. I can, I can send a plague of grasshoppers if I want to to kill the Canaanites. I've done it before, you know. I can choke off their water supply. I can cause a tornado to come and wipe them out. I, I can just let you circle them for days and then blow trumpets and horns and they can die. 
this isn't hard for me. I don't need your war admiral talent. I don't need your ability to be this amazing pastor that can speak to the people and they all follow. No, I don't need any of that. What I want is I want you. I want you. I want all of you. I want your attitude. I want your emotions. But more than anything, I want your cravings. I want you to want to follow me. And if Joshua, if you'll do that, then you'll be prosperous. And then you'll be successful. See, it comes down to resolve, friends. Listen to me. You want God to use you? You want God to use your home? You want God to use you in your job? You want God to use you in your friendships? You want God to use you as a parent? You want God to use you as a single adult? You want God to use you as a senior citizen, legacy builder? You want God to use you? It comes down to resolve. Are you resolved to be faithful? Does God own your will? And if he does, I'm telling you, he'll take you into places you never imagined. What in your life might happen if you simply resolved to be faithful? You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it doesn't go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter, but sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world is sending them the word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.